0: so at least we're live now everybody thank you for joining me unfortunately garrett won't be with us today he is still missing in action in mexico i like how garrett goes out there bit of a bohemian garrett heads down to mexico disappears for a few weeks drops me the odd text living off bitcoin living off his bitcoin wallet and his early investments back in the day that keeps garrett going which is good so let's just crack on with the show apologies for being 30 minutes late i actually did the podcast to myself over the last 30 minutes and realized that no one are actually watching it never mind okay so let's kick on with the show right now so let's bring in the first article let's see if we can just bring this in right now share this we're speaking about elon musk and what's actually happening let's we go so let's bring up the article a bit bigger so Dogecoin price jumps 40 percent on elon musk's twitter crypto wallet rumors so if people think a hey, let's get myself a little bit bigger so the price of dodge which was uh, tw- um, Elon Musk's personal baby in terms of investment. Nobody actually knows exactly how much of the Doge Dogecoin, 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 whatever you want to call it, he actually owns. I've acquired some of it. It's actually lost quite a bit of money since I've acquired it. But never mind, I bought it because Elon Musk was uh, bigging it up. Currently, it is at nine cents right now. If you're sitting at home, I wouldn't. I would think it's worth a little bit of a nibble and acquire some of it yourself. You know, you never, you don't get many chances to come in at things at nine cents. So get into that. Zion coins still at one cent, people. And once we're listing on an exchange, I would nibble into that. Drop me a mail if you want to buy any of the the pre uh, STO uh, uh, stable coins. So what's actually happening and why is it so exciting? Well, ultimately. Elon Musk is out looking to make an acquisition of Bitcoin in the region of uh, $44 billion. Now, ultimately, he wasn't happy when he went in to put his bid in terms of the min- amount of spy bot users in the system. Ultimately, Twitter reckons to about 10% are bots. It's quite a lot, actually, 10% are bots. Uh, Elon Musk thinks it's around about forty percent. So uh, Kim Kardashian's account, I think that was about seventy percent bots. You know what I mean? So it's like, and a few of the other big celebrities as well. If you check my account, I've only got five hundred in there as well. So of them, they'll probably be fifty bots. So that's how many bots are coming in. So he want to renegotiate the price, but ultimately, because he's gone down this route. And people thought that he put in the bid to basically suppress the price of Twitter, push it down. Ultimately, he's agreed to purchase them. And I think that's going to go through in the coming weeks. Interesting news that come out is Binance, which is the biggest crypto wallet out there. They've come out and they've essentially uh, committed their 500 million investment. So they pledged to Musk. Prior to him purchasing it, we will stick in 500 million if you go ahead with the purchase and we'll invest that into your acquisition of Twitter. And they said today they've gone ahead and made this uh, pledge to Elon Musk and sent him the 500 million. Don't know what format it's in, but it's been sent there anyway. So suddenly Binance, that's the biggest crypto exchange in the world for transferring Bitcoin, has dropped Elon 500 million in terms of his acquisition of Twitter. And he's coming out and he's now saying that he's got the Twitter crypto wallet in place in the next 12 months if after acquisition we will have a Twitter crypto wallet. So what's so interesting about that? Excuse me. So what's so interesting about that? Well, ultimately, it means that suddenly everyone at home, you can actually use um, Twitter now. You can actually do small pledges to people in Bitcoin. So if you see someone out there as an influencer who's doing some sort of, um, you know, influencing, talking about stuff you agree with, you want to do a little pledge to them, you can actually do that in Bitcoin right now. So the system already allows you to do that. What's interesting about what's happening with a a crypto wallet is that ultimately will be integrated into the system. So we will no longer use Twitter as the sort of town hall, modern day town hall crying um, system of freedom of speech. We'll ultimately be using this for every single day purchases. So, in the same way, a lot of the young people now use Zelle, a lot of the young people now use Vemno in the US to essentially pass money through each other digitally and using some form of digital wallet, you'll have your own crypto digital wallet. It'll be integrated with fiat currency as well. So, you'll have your banks originally be hooked into the system. Now, I guarantee the way they're going to develop it, because a lot of people think, oh, well, that crypto wallet's going to be too confusing for me. You know, I use Kraken right now, which is the digital bank from Wyoming, I set up an account, I bought some crypto, that's what I bought the Dogecoin with. It's so easy, it's actually easier to use the Kraken system than it is to use the Bank of America online banking system. That's how easy these systems are in place. So people start to understand that, you know, I want to use some form of um, digital wallet out there, I might want to use uh, Twitter's crypto wallet, to essentially buy goods and services the system in place is going to be easier to use than your current online banking system so when he actually launches it ultimately after the acquisition we are all going to be using crypto to make acquisitions to make investments to basically do trades it'll all be run through to buy goods and services everything will be running through twitter in the same way mark zuckerberg originally wanted to do that with some form of stable coin behind his facebook but you know the sec weren't really happy with him launching his own version of a stable coin where essentially if you're just using a wallet and it's other people's coins and cryptocurrency and uh, tokens utility tokens and all the different types of uh, services coming through what a digital wallet can provide If he launches it through Twitter and everyone likes the system, suddenly it takes Twitter from this essentially social media platform to be integrated into buying goods and services. And then ultimately that could lead Twitter to challenge Amazon and what they use it for. And ultimately in order for Amazon to stave off this, they'll probably have it set up whereby this Twitter crypto wallet will be integrated into Amazon as well. There'll actually be some form of API you'll set it up. And then you'll be able to go and buy your uh, anything from Amazon through your Twitter digital wallet. And that technology, it's already in place. The technology already works. You just need the big social media platforms to launch this and integrate it. And then really how that works and how it's regulated, it'll be how everything goes forward with that. So that's super exciting it just means that this next wave of blockchain and blockchain technology that people are going to be able to use is just coming upon us. Now people might think, well, I don't really understand blockchain. I don't understand bitcoin. I talk about it all the time uh, when I come in here in a basic format. You know, the first thing people normally say to me is, you know, bitcoin's not backed against anything. It's worthless. The system will completely collapse. You know, the fiat currency is not worth uh, backed against anything, you know. The U.S. dollar was decoupled against uh, the Federal Reserve back in 1971, so after that point, it was no, it was not backed against the gold in the Federal Reserve. You know, the day we open up the Federal Reserve, it'd be great to open that up and see what's in. I just think it's not going to be like Goldfinger when he's trying to blow it up, and uh, Sean Connery takes an odd job and they have the fight in the Federal Reserve. It's pretty good for those who haven't seen it. Odd job eventually dies when his uh, magic hat with a steel rim hits the thing and uh, electrocutes him. But basically, if we open the Federal Reserve, there it'll just be one big IOU from the government. I owe you all this money. So why is fiat currency stopping working? And why is this new digital currency now moving in place of it? Well, if you think about current inflation. So right now, inflation in the UK is running at 11%. Inflation in the US is running at 8.5%. Inflation for groceries so if you're going down to your supermarket, that's 13%, 14%. And inflation for you know, meat products, if you're looking to buy a steak, if you're looking to buy chicken, that's actually running over 30%. Now, I understand the supply chain costs have gone up, fertilizer costs have gone up. There's reasons why the cost of the goods and services have gone up, but ultimately the cost of this product has jumped up 30%. Now, why is this the problem? And why is inflation going so high? And why do people talk about fiat currency and the problems of fiat currency. So if you think back to Obama, when he was in charge of the US, and he bailed out the banks. So when he first came into the, took over, won the election, um, uh, he came in as the first African American president of the US. His first job really was to bail out the banks, and he bailed them out in the tune of about $800 billion. So they had to underwrite the banks because we couldn't afford our banking system to collapse so he essentially had to print an additional 800 billion dollars pump it into the system to keep the banks afloat because of essentially uh, dodgy lending that they did over that period you can go into that in more detail but ultimately they were lending money they didn't have they were lending in projects that to people who couldn't afford to pay for them they were lending money in the housing thing and it boomed and boomed and boomed and boomed and boomed and boomed And then they were repackaging this debt and lending it to each other. Essentially, banking became a sales aspect. People were taking debt, repackaging it and selling to other banks. People were actually buying this debt, were getting massive bonuses, and ultimately the whole thing burst. And then we were in a lot of trouble. So the government had to essentially underpin, print more money, and you know bail out the banks, as they called it. So this 800 billion had to be put into the system. Now, who actually, when they put the 800 billion into the system, who actually lost out? Well, it was actually the person sitting at home, you and I, we're coming out, the consumer. We always the ones that end up. So when the governments make some big pledge and have to bail someone out, ultimately, a timeline later, we have to pay for this and it's the same thing that's happened with covid so when we did the COVID lockdowns and everyone was sent home we weren't able to work and you know ultimately there was millions of people rather than having you coming to work we're all going to give you a certain amount of money and we're going to keep you at home and you can spend that money and amazon gets things sent to your house you can use this additional money to essentially pump into crypto so suddenly people are at home yeah i'm investing in crypto you know, as people got money, they bought things online. We weren't going out spending stuff from consumers and stores. It was all digital purchases. Ultimately, the consumer market changed. You know, let's not, let's not just blame Joe Biden. Trump did the first massive package in terms of writing, bailing everybody out, sticking essentially over a trillion dollars into the system. Biden comes in, he writes another check for $2 trillion. So now we're looking at and then, on top of that, we're sending all this money to Russia, to Ukraine. So you're, you're ended up working out like three and a half trillion dollars the government has essentially printed since COVID and pumped into the system. So any sort of activity by the government when they do this, see. The way it should normally work is they should get this money raised from taxation and spend the money that's raised from taxation. Now, what the government's able to do is we're going to get future taxation in place. We'll do a little bit of an IOU like the Federal Reserve used to do, a little bit of an IOU. We'll take the money now. We'll get it back in future taxation and, You know, and everything will be a gooding. But did that actually work? No, we pumped in three and a half trillion dollars into the system. So what actually happens is, so let's like take basic inflation. We've got a pie. You're sitting at home as American. It's coming up to, you know, um, the holiday period. Everyone likes a bit of an apple pie in America. And, you know, there's some other pies, but I like the apple one. So you get the apple pie, and then we split it into 100 pieces. So you've got your 100th of a piece of an apple pie. This is the money you own in your house And this is the equity you've got in your house. And this is the money you've owned. So you've got $5,000 in your bank account. So it's sitting there. That's your piece of the pie. The government prints $3 trillion and they pump it into the system. Now, this this isn't back from taxation. They're doing it sort of ahead of time. So this money's now pumped into the system. Your piece of the pie, you've still got got 100th piece of pie. The problem is the pie's now split into 120 pieces. So wait a minute. I still have one piece of pie, except your piece of the pie is now smaller than it used to be. So what actually happens with inflation, and then they actually talk about deflation when things get even worse. It's not that the price of goods and services go up that we think, oh, everything's getting more expensive. It's the value of your dollar in your bank account goes down. So the purchasing power of your piece of pie is less. So if you think about it, I've got a hundredth of a piece of pie. Now I've got a hundred and twentieth of the piece of pie. So got one piece of pie, it's just that it's smaller than it was before. And because it's smaller, I can purchase less. And that in a way is like basic inflation. So people are thinking, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't sound so good. Now it's running at 10, 11%. So suddenly it's like, and then, you know, and then I'm saying groceries is 13%, food's, you know, meat's 30%. Wait a minute my piece of pies not allowing me to acquire what i used to acquire in the past and that essentially is what happens with inflation and that's what happens with fiat currency so the government and the, the government likes bigger government spend money we want to spend money we want to spend more money yes we'll write checks of money we don't have we'll spend this money but ultimately the consumer suffers 18 months, two years down the line, and you essentially become poorer because unless you got a pay rise in line with inflation, then essentially what you're able to buy with your piece of the pie is less. And that is it. So, suddenly, what happens with Bitcoin and other digital currencies that come out there? Well, there's a finite amount of them. We can actually see this. Wait a minute, there's a finite amount of that Bitcoin. They can't actually print more and pump it into the system oh but it's not backed against anything but either is the fiat currency backed against anything okay well i'm mm, right and we can see every single transaction on this on a thing called the blockchain and we can track all these transactions so what it does is it creates this form of transparency because ultimately that's what it did so you think about what bitcoin was created for so satoshi nakamoto when he invented bitcoin he was not thinking it was a commodity He was thinking it was this technology to do a transaction from A to B across the world using the internet. So if you think about the blockchain for people out there, it's the the internet of finance. So the first blockchain, I mean, the first internet came along as the internet of data and information. We can transfer data across the world without having to send faxes. Great, you know, no longer have to send a fax or snail mail, write a letter, send a letter. Boom, we can send an email and it can go instantaneously. You know, under the old dial-up, it would take a few minutes. Now it just happens like that. And as the internet is faster and faster and faster, the way we can actually send information becomes better to the point that we can stream movies online because the internet's running so fast rather than have to download them. You know, the older generation, and not even that old, younger than me, when we moved to this ability, we were able to download stuff. It would take an hour. I can download this movie without having to go to Blockbuster and get out you know, some form of DVD, come home, sit and watch it. I can download it. It takes an hour to download. Then it's on my computer and I can watch it whenever I want. And they don't have to send it back to Blockbuster. Great. That's even better. But now the the technology's improved with the internet speed sped up, whereby now we can just sit and watch it yeah i'm going to watch netflix Shh. oh wait a minute a little bit of buffering you get mad at it what's going on you know why, why is my you know why is my internet going from 5g to 4g what's going on with that you know why is it buffering you get mad about stuff like this but you think of 20 years ago that stuff couldn't even exist all these jobs didn't exist all that stuff never did this is the internet so this next iteration of the internet it's like finance on the internet. Wait a minute, we can start using this technology like finance on the internet. So what Bitcoin was able to do is he was able to buy a pizza across the world and he, and back in the day, and it still works. If I was based, I do the website Rebuilding Iraq, you know, big ups to my friends out Rajiv out in India. We'll speak about Rajiv and Indian people I work with already when we speak about uh, Rishi, the new prime minister in a second. But ultimately. You know, we're doing this website with information in Iraq. We've got a client in Iraq who wants to send us, say, a $1,000 to access this government tender information that we've got. When he would send me the $1,000, this $1,000, it would go from Bank of Baghdad, then then normally it goes to Dubai. So I'll go from Bank of Baghdad to Dubai. I'll go from Dubai to Switzerland. I'll go from Switzerland to London. I'll go from London to New York. I'll go from New York to San Diego and then I would get this thing through in terms of accessing the money. And that process usually took about five business days to send. Now, when you get a printout of this, you would actually see a printout and you would see transaction fees. Wait a minute, every little bank... If they're passing the money through them, they're taking a little bite of the cherry. Oh, wait a minute. We had to basically change it to a different country. So we had to change it to a different currency. The government, oh, we'll take a little bite of this. And everyone takes a little bite of the pie as it moves along. It takes five days to get the information. And your $1,000 is now $930 because they didn't want to pay the transaction fees. We're sending you money. You pick up the fee. Bank of America shows you a breakdown of transactions. And that's how it worked. And that's the way we sent money across the world. And being able to do it like this, the technology improved a lot to that point. So now, suddenly, you've got this other technology in terms of finance on the internet called the blockchain. We are now able to send money across instantaneously. We're we're avoiding international transaction fees. We're We're avoiding banking fees. The only fees we're now using are the fees from the wallets they're using to do the transaction for the goods and services from A to B. So suddenly, that changes everything. Banking systems are now having to completely change the way they operate in terms of their financial models. It doesn't mean they're going to run out their financial model the way it's running right now. You know, the days of banks charge you $15 to have the privilege of looking after your money, that's gone. You do not have to pay these fees anymore. i still a member of Bank of America. I still get nabbed with the old $15 fee a month to use their systems. But ultimately, you know, they'll keep doing that until we are no longer happy and everyone moves to online digital banking. Or suddenly they decide that one of the big banks will take the lead and say, you know what? It costs you nothing to keep your money in our bank right now. And they'll be like, oh, wait a minute. They'll have to change. they to have the same amount of people sitting out there. They'll no longer charge those fees. So we're all going to move to that bank, whether it's Bank America, whether it's Chase, whether it's, you know, H, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, whether it's HBoss, it doesn't actually matter if you're looking in the UK, these charges will now change and they will get taken away. And that's about to happen anyway. That'll happen in the next 10 years. Banks are having to change. So banks, the way banks operate, have to change. It doesn't mean they're not going to lead the field. It's just the way they run their current business model is changing because of this technology. And that's what's so interesting. And then you've got a disruptor like Elon Musk, who's essentially disrupting the energy industry by moving us all into electric vehicles and all into this solar energy, because he realized that, wait a minute, the thing that's kept the planet spinning for the last four and a half billion years is this big red thing in the sky that heats the planet and grows everything. Maybe we could just use that energy to basically provide us all free electricity. You know, <laughs> wait, well, that sounds quite a good idea. You can actually do it right now. But you've got the, you know, big energy companies. And it's not just, oh, well, you know, it's the, the oil companies pushing them down. It's the government organizations as well. If you think of uh, SDG&E, San Diego Gas and Electric, you know, the US right now, if Biden wanted us to go green. He would just say, I'll tell you what, everybody, I'll give you a three month back at battery storage. They already, Tesla already got them. The government can pick up the tab for that. You know, we can spend a trillion dollars making nuclear bombs and weapons. Why can't we pick up the tab for everyone to get a three month back of battery storage? And we'll stick these new types of solar tiles and solar panels on your roof. And therefore everyone's going to have free electricity. That's great. We'll all come off grid. We'll no longer have blackouts. That technology is in place right now. They just choose not to utilize it right now because there's so many lobbyists. There's so many people involved. There's this uh, period of transition out of energy but that's what they should do and they should do that and we can all have free electricity but the problem is SDG&E they would be out of business tomorrow British Gas the the company that actually sells on gas in the UK they would be out of business if they did that model you would suddenly put them out of business so the government doesn't want to put their main tax collecting systems out of business because where are they going to get money from well, we can, we can have a smaller government because we don't need the government for electricity. Oh, wait a minute. We've got free electricity. I'll tell you what I'll do. I might start trying to grow my own vegetables because I've got free electricity all the time. Hey, that's great. Wait a minute. I don't need to go to the supermarket. Supermarkets don't want that. They want, don't want you ever The last thing they want is all of us to go off grid and grow our own vegetables. You know, what? Well, oh, well, you can't, you know, it's difficult to grow a peach. Yeah, might need to go and grow a peach, but potatoes, tatties, they call them in Scotland. You know, most people can grow potatoes. Yeah, I'll go grow potatoes. Yeah, i have free potatoes. Yeah, great, I can make them into chips. Yeah, that's quite good. Fries, boom. Who's going to hate that? McDonald's. They don't like that. See, these systems are in place, and this is this coming across. And t- as technology comes in. So the government can do that. And what Elon Musk's about to do with his Twitter crypto wallet is, he's going to take a system whereby you're going to be thinking, well, wait a minute. I've got this Twitter crypto wallet, which also has access to my fiat currency. It's integrated. It's easy to use. I use it to buy all my goods and services. Uh, he's done a deal with Amazon, so it integrates directly with them. It reduces any charges for my Twitter crypto wallet to buy any Amazon products. Well, that's quite good. And so I'm not having to do any sort of charges my bank when I have to do that as well. Little incremental little things that take a few cents here. I don't get charged anymore. I get more money. More value for the money I've got. I've got this is my money. I'm spending it. Why am I giving me little? Why am I giving 15% to these guys? Why am I giving 10% to these guys? Why am I giving 1% to those guys? Don't have to do that anymore under this system. So that's great, you know. He's going to change all that. Suddenly banks, oh wait a minute, we can do this too. Yeah, you come with us, trust us, we can do that. You know, well, why not give us? Stop charging us $180 a year to have the privilege of you taking our money and lending it to someone else. <laughs> you know? Oh, but they don't want to tell you that right now. But that system there, and if you go down to Bank of America, which is still a busy bank, the one that's close to my house. If you go down to that Bank of America, what's the average age of people in there? They're all older. Like I'm the youngest guy in there and I'm like 47. I'm 48 actually. So I'm in there and I'm 48. And I'm the youngest guy there. There's the young people don't want to go in banks. My my niece Glenny, when she babysits, she doesn't even want to get paid in, in cash. I don't want paper. Can you just venno me the cash? So it's an electronic little thing and I go spend it. Because if I give her it in cash and then she has to go down the bank and put the put the money back into the bank to get it into her electronic system. And that's the way young people think. They've already moved on to this electronic system. They don't want to use cash in their bank accounts anymore. It's old people like to use cash. So we're already moving out of this. So as the technology comes in, so we'll bring that back in for the, the Doge coin itself. So this is something, he might have this underpinning in terms of having Doge as an underpinning an easy cryptocurrency that's already out there to utilize within your crypto wallet. But I think it'll be integrated into more. And what you're going to find is, now people think, oh, well, you know, I don't trust Elon Musk, you know, he's a bit of a whack job. We saw him that other day carrying a sink, you know, coming in making a bit of a joke he's friends with uh Ye, you know can you stuff like that you know that guy says stuff i don't like i don't trust him doesn't matter anyway the banking system is changing governments are changing the digital dollar the digital pound the digital euros already there the white papers have been written by government already out there they they know this is coming they've just sort of pushed it down to the point that well wait a minute we are gonna be running these things. So if you think Bitcoin's gonna replace the dollar, it's not gonna replace the dollar. The digital dollar is gonna replace the dollar. That's what's about to happen. And it'll be a form of stable coin. Now, the problem is that people, this central digital currency is coming out there, they will have more control over how you spend this money. So people are thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm not very really happy about that. If the government sends you digital dollars, they will be able to control in ways going forward and how that digital dollar is spent. So you might be limited if you're on any sort of government assistance and you want to go out and buy some bottles of vodka with your digital dollar from the government, they will be able to stop that. Where right now if they send the money and the money's in cash and you take the money out of cash and then you go to your off license or your liquor store, you can still buy your vodka. That's now going to become more difficult with the digital dollar. And then what a lot of the people out there are afraid of is if they can change that piece of it, they're tracking stuff, they're controlling things. But really, you know, it's all tracked anyway, if you earn it yourself. So there'll be give and take for stuff like that. But any money the government's giving you, if it's coming from a digital dollar, they will have more transparency and control of this money coming out. And they're going to launch it because if they don't launch it, it's going to be replaced by somebody else out there and they're not going to like that. You know, and then that brings us basically on to the second article I want to speak about today, which I think is super interesting and what's happening in the space. Let's bring him in right now. Well, let's try and see if I can get it bigger. There we go. The new prime minister of Britain, Rishi Sunak. Now, Rishi Sunak is the first Hindu prime minister of the UK. He's the first brown prime minister of the UK, but he's essentially British. I know Trevor Noah was online doing a horrible, it was like, if if he wasn't from South African black and he did an impression of Apu from the Simpsons pretending to be Rishi Sunak, you know, it was just horrible racist. This guy's British. You know, went to Oxford University. His dad was a doctor. His dad was from India, came over. His mum ran a uh, pharmacist, you know. He did his MBA in Stanford. He's a financial whiz kid. You know, and what's weird about it is, and this is what's weird about American political system is, they try to take any news out there and fit it into their audience. Now, whether he was doing all that, he's just trying to, you know, his audience are very left-wing, progressive, Noah type people. So he wants to say that the uh, UK people are being racist towards their first brown prime minister, but ultimately not, because he actually represents the Conservative Party which is the far right party, if you want to put it like that, the right side of the UK. So if the Conservative are the Republicans and uh, the Democrats are basically the Conservative Party, but you know the, we'll just say the Democrats are the Labour Party. Okay, This guy's re- representing the Conservative Party and he's a financial whiz kid coming in. So he's 42 years old. So he's six years younger than me. He was the previous first... Um, chancellor chancellor of the exchequer from india you know he's very proud of his hindu traditions which is great you know he's always pushing always talking about the importance of that and his wife funnily enough happens to be a billionaire (laughs) wait a minute that doesn't fit in with our progressive thinking You you know the new brown prime minister of the uk rishi is a financial whiz kid went to oxford university very very posh and his wife's a billionaire I mean, let's bring his wife in right now. Look, here she is. Oh, it's on CNBC. Britain's new PM is almost a billionaire with a net worth that, oh, twice that of King Charles. I don't know King Charles is worth like 400 million. Anyway, uh, Ashkata Murthy has an estimated net worth of $850 million. Their net worth is roughly twice that of King Charles, estimated at 300 million personal fortune. know how he's got 300 million personal fortune but like well we'll just leave that anyway you know the crown jewels you know millions of the uk are facing a cost of living crisis raising questions over multi-millionaire sunak's ability to understand the experience of ordinary Britons. you know this is where it gets ridiculous well obviously if his wife's a billionaire right he's not going to have the same problems as everyone else and even his wife's not a billionaire the fact that he's prime minister of the uk and he makes 400 grand a year from doing that job He's not going to understand that anyway. And that's like his basic salary, let alone all the other add-ons he gets from it. You know, so let's have a look when they're coming down there. Sunak, who on Monday succeeded Liz Truss as leader of the UK's ruling Conservative Party, previously worked as a Goldman Sachs analyst and then a hedge fund manager before becoming a politician eight years. But he he owes much of his vast fortune to his wife, Akshata Murthy, a tech heiress whose father, N.R. Marty, who spells his surname differently, founded the Indian IT company, Infosys. And so her net worth is essentially 850 million. Now, what's interesting about what she's talking about as well is she's actually not domiciled in the UK because of tax purposes. Because if she got domiciled in the UK, rather than in India, then ultimately when she passes away, the government's going to take a big chunk of the tax, whereby that law is actually outlawed in India recently. So therefore she's domiciled there. So that really is so interesting there. And her majority of Marty's wealth comes from a 0.93% stake in her father's company, which currently has a market cap of around 75 billion. However, she also owns Catamaran Ventures UK, the British arm of her father's venture capital and private equity firm, which has stakes and portfolios, including uh, companies that have been run by Rupert Murdoch and Rupert Murdoch's family. So ultimately, she's into absolutely everything. Let's bring up a picture so you can see her. You know, that lady there, she is a billionaire and her husband is the prime minister of the UK. But let's go back to what's interesting about this. So putting that aside, okay? The fact is, if you listen to this guy speak, he is smart. He is a financial whiz kid. Now I know a lot of my, um, and then the people complaining, it's not like Trevor Noah, oh, it's being a racist thing. The people who are actually complaining are the far left. The, The actual people who sit and watch your show are the people who are complaining that he's in charge, Trevor, if you bother doing any research prior to doing it. Not the right-wing people. All the right-wing people love this guy because he's smart. They don't even look at the color of his skin. It's looking like, how smart this guy is. He's the smartest guy for the job. And if you listen to him speak compared to, like, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, you will realize why so many people are getting excited about him. Anyway, let's read a little bit about him in cryptocurrency. And why I'm, the more I read about his thought process of a crypto, why I'm starting to get excited about the guy as well. So let's have a quick read. As Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak outlined an ambitious plan to turn the UK into a crypto hub. As Prime Minister, he'll be under pressure to deliver on that pledge, while at the same time containing an economic crisis. Crypto executives and investors interviewed by Bloomberg greeted Sunak's appointment with cautious optimism. Yet they also said that the UK's political upheaval in recent months has increased the urgency of formulating a comprehensive regulatory regime for the sector. Sunak took a big step to alleviate the industry's concern by appointing John Glenn, who was previously a de facto czar for digital assets, as chief secretary of the Treasury. Yet jurisdiction from Japan to the EU have firmed up their regulatory regimes over the past few months, putting the UK at a competitive disadvantage. This change in leadership could prove crucial in achieving the aspirations which were set out earlier this year around transforming the UK into a global recognised financial hub. And then it goes on and on. It's a it's an interesting article. I always like Bloomberg as one of the leaders out there, especially their crypto writers. They're the best in the space. <clears throat> so let's just bring him back in again. So <clears throat> but what's interesting, if you think about it, right? So here's now coming in, there's France today, came out and said, We now want to become the crypto hub of Europe. So because the UK and France have been super competitive with everything, and then because the UK, because of Brexit, has pulled out, France have realized that they have to move forward with this. And there's France, and they are still controlled a lot by the unions. You know, it's still government overreach, a lot of France coming in there. But they've realized the technology is here to stay, and they're pushing this technology. And now we've got this Indian, Hindu, British, financial whiz kid, billionaires what billionaire's wife billionaire's husband running the country and now he understands that as well so this is all it's all coming in the digital pound is coming in if you think about what we are doing in terms of tokenization it's fractional ownership through digital assets digital so before when you took an asset people would hold it by percentages if you tokenize it we can actually create it where people can hold Smaller fractional interests through coins or tokens. Tokens are easy to understand because when people talk about cryptocurrency and coins, we always think about fiat currency. We don't understand there's different types of this, you know, because there's tokens, there's utility tokens, there's utility coins, there's stable coins, there's uh, cryptocurrency, there's various points of digital assets and digital tokens. And there's more and more ways of this coming in there. But if you think about asset tokenization is there more than you know one type of asset in the world of course there is the thousands of assets there's millions of assets so when we create tokens based against asset it doesn't mean it's a coin it's not a fiat currency that's what's coming in the problem that i spoke about earlier is the way fiat currency operates is no longer controlled now This technology coming in, you know, when El Salvador were the first country that legalized Bitcoin, everyone thought it'd be a disaster, but it's not been a disaster. It's actually worked. Now, they've got less red tape to actually integrate that. So suddenly, well, wait a minute, they've done it. Now, Panama have done it, and now Belize is about to do it. Well, these countries have got less red tape, and they're able to do this. So suddenly, other countries, you know, the SEC have done their white paper on the digital dollar. If you're sitting at home, oh, it's not going to happen here. It's already, it's it's all going to happen because they want it to happen so they can control it. And it's going to be easier for them to control. So yes, it means that you're going to get access to information, but it's a bit like people think, oh, well, you know, I don't like government overreach. Well, if you really want government overreach to end, get rid of your mobile phone. You know, the government tracks me, government tracks me. Your mobile phone tracks you, Facebook tracks you. If you've got a Facebook account, it tracks you. You can talk to your friend on Facebook about any sort of product you want to buy. Next thing you know, through voice recognition, Facebook's punting an advert for it. Well, wait a minute, how did that happen? And then a couple of months later, when you stop talking about it and look for it, that advert's not there. The next thing's coming in. All that stuff's coming in because of technology, but the technology is making life easier for people and make things more helpful for people. And for people in parts of the world who are unbanked, which still a huge amount of people in the world don't have a bank account and they can't trust their local banks. This technology coming in is going to be very beneficial for them. And what it's going to do is going to change everything. So for people out there, if they want to think about blockchain, they want to think about tokenization, if you think of the internet, originally it was transferring information, what the blockchain is finance on the internet and it's only started So you think about the internet starting back in the early 90s and the first thing we did with email, now pick out your mobile phone and see all the different apps you've got and all the different ways you're able to use the internet. Bitcoin changed the financial infrastructure by creating the blockchain. The blockchain is the first of finance on the internet. And what it's doing is now we're creating multiple use cases and essentially thousands of use cases are getting developed each day. And as we go forward in the next 20 years, they think the blockchain is essentially going to be as influential as the internet in terms of the way we actually live. And that's what's so exciting out there. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. We've got some good guests coming up. Please stay tuned, hit subscribe. Learned a little bit about Elon Musk. Good luck to Rishi. Quite like the guy, actually. You know, all my SMP supporters sending me you know, nasty messages online. Ah, well, you know, you've got to give the guy a chance. At least he's a smart guy, you know, rather than a bit of a dum-dum that some of the guys out here we've got in politics in America. Anyway, thanks for watching. Boom, it's on the blockchain. My name's Alistair Caithness. Have a nice day.